Welcome to episode 457 of Troubadours and Rock On Tours with yours truly, E.W. Conundrum Demure. On this week's episode, we feature a fantastic conversation with American journalist, U.S. punk laureate, Legs McNeil. We talk with Legs about something called Legsville. People with taste, he says, will truly enjoy it. We talk about oral history as compared to fiction, Iggy Pop, the ethos of punk, Teenage News, New York Dolls, CBGBs, Johnny Thunders, David Johansson, Hair Metal, and being altar boys, among other things. A grand conversation with Legs McNeil. We have an EWSA titled Florist Bodega, and we share an excerpt from Legs's highly acclaimed book, Please Kill Me, The Uncensored Oral History of Punk, featuring the thoughts of Ron Ashton and Iggy Pop. And we have a poem called Lazy. All of this, of course, will be imbued, infused, with the wonderful energy of several great tunes. It's so nice to be with you. Let's get to it. Episode 457 of Troubadours and Rock On Tours.
Florist Bodega. The fear of staying healthy. It's an esoteric pretext dominated by a need to control or to be controlled. Ah, that coffee tastes good like I knew it would. I brewed it myself every morning. Why don't you listen? How come you don't come down the road and pay tribute? Quiet and respectful. You think you're something special. I know how it works. So many fools, so many jerks. And then there is this guy. He lives on Chelsea, writes vicious poetry. In the beat-up cafe across the corner from the florist bodega owned by that young Syrian family. Everyone is always talking like they are royalty and hiding from Iraq or Afghanistan. A few think the wife is the Belarusian elected president running the revolution in Manhattan while trimming roses and baby's breath in the Bowery. I like to imagine that the vicious poet, he has beautiful, long, curly black hair, writes the Syrian president-elect speeches. She uploads them to be streamed online from the back room of the bodega, with cut stems and rose petals all over the floor. You can smell the petals and the words and hear the stems crack, like her young voice as she utters what she memorized and morphed into her own verve. The poet and the president in the Bowery trying to be themselves, trying to stand out and trying to blend in. I wonder what propels and churns the vicious fulcrum of the long-haired poet. Was he born that way? Was he mistreated over and over again? These people are my imaginary friends.
Hello, Legs McNeil, is that you? Yes. Hi, it's uh, Lawrence from Troubadours and Rock on Tours. Thanks for being on the program again. How are you? How's it going? Good. That's good. Uh, before we get started, for those of you who might not know who you are, let me say a little bit. Uh, Legs McNeil is an American music journalist, co-founder of seminal magazine called Punk, former editor of Spin Magazine, and co-author of the highly acclaimed book, Please Kill Me, The Uncensored Oral History of Punk, along with several other books he's written. And uh, he's founder of a place called Legsville. A lot of folks say that Legs is the U.S. Punk Laureate, and uh, I think that's an interesting title. I, how, uh, how am I doing so far describing you? Is it pretty accurate? Um, I wouldn't say I was a music journalist. I was just, I'm a journalist. You know? Just a journalist, a general yeah. journalist. Yeah, you know, that's fine. Actually, I think I picked that up on Wikipedia or something. Sorry. Uh, well, the, the Internet is most of the time very, very wrong. Yeah, I agree. Uh, yeah, because you've written about porn in a book, right? You've written about yep. all kinds of things. Teenage angst. Teenage angst. And Dear Nobody. Um, yeah. Well, Legsville is something new, uh, yeah, and exciting. I know there's a, it's kind of confusing sometimes because you do see a presence online of a place called Please Kill Me. Yeah, but that's not you. No, not anymore. Used to be. Yes, I started the website and I hired all the people, and then um, I've left. And is that kind of why Legsville is is uh, something you're starting? Yes. Yeah. I, I think pleasekillme.com is very boring. Oh, and, and go ahead, I'm sorry. Just rehashes people that, you know, five or ten people care about instead of the general population, you know. Uh, focusing on the same artists, you mean? Well, not, I, I don't mind focusing on the same artists if, it, if it's interesting, you know. Yeah. Yeah. And... You don't you don't live in New York City anymore, right? Originally, you're from Connecticut. Now you you're a PA resident, right? Yes, I'm in Pennsylvania. In the eastern half or the western? In the eastern, two hours from New York, two. so I can just drive in whenever I'm, I have to go in for business. Wow, you know, I, I'm not. I, I live two hours from New York too, in Pennsylvania. You know, maybe you're a neighbor. Where are you? I'm in um, uh, the Scranton area. Oh, cool. Yeah. I'm in Schwanksville. Schwanksville. That's, a, I think, a little south of me. Yeah. Yeah. How are you enjoying the winter? I don't enjoy winter. No? No. Do you? I do. I do enjoy winter. I, you know, you I like get, it? yeah, I get sick of it, and then spring comes, you know, but I like it for a month or so. Well, I've had enough winter already. Yeah. It's It's been a little cold lately. Um, a little. <laughs> yeah. The other night, though, I was outside. When it was five below, I bought new boots that are supposed to be able to handle 40 below, so I wanted to test them out. You know, I had a beer outside in the backyard. Yeah? Yeah, my wife thought it was crazy, but, you know, the boat, the, the boots worked pretty well. Yeah. They kept your feet warm, huh? They did. My lips got chapped from drinking the beer in sub, you know, zero weather, but the boots worked well. And uh, you got married during the pandemic, didn't you? 
Yes, I did. Very happily. That's great. Congratulations. Thank you. So, Legsville, uh, a wife during the pandemic. I guess you're, you're, you've been busy. Has it been yeah. driving you crazy? No, my life has changed very little because I'm mostly working, writing, you know. So I don't leave the house anyway, you know. Now, Legsville itself, you want to ex- maybe share what your vision is for, for that or what people can expect? Uh, uh, um, it's flat fashion, glamour, um, compelling true crime, um, um, all the things that are kind of subsidiary to, to rock and roll, but with a, with a rock and roll attitude, you know? Yeah. Yeah. And it's not fiction necessarily, or... No, no, it's nonfiction. Nonfiction. I don't write fiction. Right. Uh, it's just people lying. It's people lying. And the truth, yeah. You know, you know what I mean? I mean, if everyone wrote like Dickens or Conrad... You know, then it would be something else, but it just seems preposterous to me and unbelievable. So um, I don't really indulge in too much fiction. Yeah, and, and truth, the truth, or what, or very variations of what you say is the truth. That's pretty compelling stuff too. You don't have to make it up. <laughs> truth. Yeah, I know. <laughs> I don't write. I don't write. Um, Corrections of actually corrections of history, not not. I mean, I don't rewrite history. I write what actually happened. You know. Yeah, the oral history. You're basically transcribing what people have shared with you, right? Well, we have transcribers that, that transcribe it. But what's really difficult about the narrative oral history is is um, the editing process because you got to edit it together with other voices. You don't just transcribe, you know, one voice and present it on the page. You know, you have to edit it together, which is very very difficult. Yeah, I could see where you, what you're saying, and and by doing that, if you have several different perspectives on a on a particular situation, uh, then it's a more thorough uh, rendition of what supposedly occurred. And that, that's is that kind well, of well, pe- 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 people um, tend to you know tell the point of view from their perspective, of course, because it's their perspective, and usually what happened is a little larger than just one person's perspective, you know? Yeah, yeah. So it's important to get the other voices in there. Yeah, I mean, I've read Please Kill Me, um, and you certainly do that. Uh, it's very compelling, and you do get a lot of different perspectives that you want to get. You know, you, you know yeah, who's part yeah. of it, and you want to hear from all of them. I mean, people were always saying to me, when are you going to write your memoir? And I thought, well, the story is so much bigger than my memoir, you know, you know, than my perspective, you know? Mm-hmm. So I, I, I thought, well, we get everybody's perspective. Yeah. So that's what we, 
that's what we did. And, you know, I, I, I don't know if you saw, I, I, about an hour or so before I called you, I sent you a little message because something popped into my head that might be an interesting, uh, you know, uh, topic to address. Uh, it, you know, given your experience in, in the Bowery and in the punk scene in, in New York City, and as an editor at Spin and, you know, so many other things you've done uh, within um, the arts. I covered I covered two wars. You did? The war in Belfast and the war in El Salvador, yeah. You covered them for Spin? Spin, yeah. So you have so much experience with, I guess you could say, the human condition and the way people behave and such. When you're looking at... Uh, let's say, let's go back to your early days as, as someone in his, in his 20s uh, in New York City in the, in, at CBGB's and, and Max's and all that. Uh, any um, stories that aren't told correctly in your view or any unsung heroes, uh, people from behind the scenes or people that are misunderstood that, that you'd, you'd be interested in talking about? Um, well, they're kind of all in there and please kill me. <laughs> You know, like we didn't leave. I think we told the story pretty thoroughly. For, are you still there? I'm sorry. Yeah. Oh, yeah. I hear you. Uh, um, for me, it was. Sorry, let me mute the TV here. I got my cup of tea and I'm upstairs. Oh, okay. Um, what was the question again? I'm sorry. You know the any any individual or any any aspect of the scene at in New York City back in, when you were uh, witnessing the the rise of punk, I guess you could say at CBGBs and and the music scene regarding Maxes and and every you know all of that. Any any folks, any people that were misunderstood or not really given. The... Um, there was a lot of people that were left out for. Um for, uh, you know, because, uh, I mean, the, the book could have gone on forever, you know? Yeah. Um, but uh, I think emotionally the book is accurate to me, you know? And if you notice about it, there's not a word about music. No. It's a music book without any music in it which was done purposely, because I hate music journalism. I, I wanted you to be able to, um, to be able to be so compelled by the story that you'd hear the music as you were uh, reading. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Does that make any sense? Yeah, definitely. I mean... In a way, when I read it, you could understand the substance, the essence that fueled the music because you could right exactly exactly you know yeah and that's that's a great thing to be able to experience when you're trying to yes. you know uh, so thanks for that uh, plus plus I think the book sold more records than any other music book has ever done it was yeah. It compelled Which people. Which is why I, I thought doing a soundtrack album to to the book would be great, you know? Yeah. But apparently record companies didn't agree with me. That's Yeah, that doesn't make any sense. That sounds like a great idea. Yeah. 
Now, when you look at some of those folks, these guys were your friends and women were your friends, like, you know, the Ramones and uh, the Dead Boys. And I mean, the, the, there's a huge list, Iggy Pop and... Yeah. And uh, I mean, I guess even the Talking Heads and your first interview was with Lou Reed for Punk and so on. Were the what did you say? Most of these folks are, um, let's say, tragic figures. Is that romanticizing them? Were they just regular Joes and Josephines trying to figure it out? Uh, you know, how, how do you how did you experience them as individuals? Um, well, differently uh, according to their you know specific bents, you know. Yeah. Um, you know, I, I never um I never kind of prejudge, you know, because whenever <laughs> whenever I think a person is this way, they always turn out to be that way, you know. It's 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 um my preconceived notions are always shattered. So I've learned, you know, to forget about them. You know, yeah, uh, that's so Buddhist. So that's that's where that's at. You know, uh, th that's yeah. I, I like it. I like it. And well, you know what happens though. Everything that becomes, and I think you told me this last time we talked. As soon as something becomes uh, popular, it's not it's not really hip and it's not cool anymore, right? And well, that, that's true, and that's that's true in a very. Uh, um, elitist kind of way, but you know, I mean, everybody loves the Ramones and Iggy now, and they're still cool, you know, and they're still cool because they always were cool. They're genuinely cool. They're not faking it. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah, you know, I saw uh, a couple things about Iggy that come to mind. I saw a recent footage of him being inducted into the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame. And uh, it was funny how he was—he kept uh, chiding the the rich folks sitting up front in the tuxedos, trying to get them up to dance. And it seemed like, even though he was he was being held up by those people, he was still kind of thumbing his nose at them. I thought it was pretty funny. Uh, and yeah, the, Iggy's great. You know, he's authentically an artist. You know, and he takes chances, and he always has. Yeah, your book reveals that, you know, Please Kill Me. It, it it does. I mean, I was surprised how supportive his parents were, too. I mean, they, they lived in a, a small trailer, I guess, but one of the things I remember reading is they gave up his their master bedroom. Uh, yeah, so he could play the drums. Yeah, that's pretty cool. <laughs> yeah. And... Well, they were, they were college, well, not college, they were um, teachers. They were taught, um, I guess, high school. You know, so they are kind of more open than your average parents. Yeah, yeah, that's a good thing. Uh, the the other uh, question I wanted to ask you, I wanted your opinion on this. Um, uh, of a friend, well, not, actually an acquaintance. I was talking with him the other day, and an Iggy Pop song came on the radio. It's uh, Lust for Life, right? And I said, yeah, I like this song. And he said, ah, I can't take that song anymore. He sold out when, it, when he let the, uh, cruise, the cruise companies use it in a commercial. And I said, well, I don't know if he sold out. He probably just needed some money. Yeah, exactly. I know the whole concept of selling out is ridiculous. 
because you have to work and pay rent, you know? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I, I, I don't know. I, unless you're independently wealthy, you don't have that uh, privilege, right, to say, no, I don't want a million dollars from you. Yeah, exactly. Well, they probably didn't get paid a million dollars, and I and I I believe the publishing company got fifty percent of its royalties. So, you know, unless he owns his royalties outright, but I don't think he does. Yeah, well, I'm very glad. Few, very few, very few recording artists do. So everyone takes their cut, and you know, by the time by the time you get the check. It's usually much less than a million bucks. I I guess they're not getting good representation, or that's just not what what, what they focus on the artist. Um, no, it's it's just the, the the deal that they got, you know. Yeah. And it's not it's not that they haven't gotten good re representation. It's just the machinery of the industry, you know. Yeah, yeah. When you sign to a record company, um, unless you're very, very sharp, um, they usually take 50% of your publishing and you get the other 50%. And I guess they have leverage, right? Because you can't really go far without them, I suppose. No, yeah. Well, they also have distribution, which is more important. And promotion. You know? Yeah. And now let me go back to punk for a second. Punk magazine. I was watching. I don't know if you saw this movie. Um, it, it was. On, it's on Prime. It's called CBGBs. And uh, they have the opening scene is is you and um, your friend. I can't remember his name. I feel John like, Holmstrom. Yes, exactly. The cartoonist. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Talking about what you're gonna, you know, what what you're gonna do, and then it, it depicts how the name punk for the magazine came up. Did you see that scene? Yes. What'd you think? Is that, it... was, that was the, I, I was never in John Holmstrom's house, and that conversation, uh, in, in that scene, John says, what should we call a, a, a magazine that focuses on punk? And he goes on, punk, 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 and he, he, like he suggested it. And he didn't suggest it at all. He wanted to call it Teenage News, you know, after a New York Doll song, which I didn't know i just thought it was a dumb title you know and so how did punk come up well that's what everyone had called me my entire life so it was pretty easy you know <laughs> it wasn't like uh it wasn't like uh, i had to reach deep into my psyche to find it did you uh did you guys ever make any money real money off uh punk magazine no and we couldn't copyright it because it was a generic term. So, <clears throat> how many but it years? It was fun. It was fun, and it launched a lot of careers and helped a lot of people uh, achieve some um, notoriety or fame that no one knew about. You know, we were exposing the world to a whole genre of of. Uh, music and comedy and intelligence that really uh, was not acknowledged. And punk never got a, a fair shake from the mainstream media, you know. 
It wasn't taken seriously? No? No. And especially after um, Nancy Spongen was died, you know. The, Sex Pistols. Yeah. You know, then, then it was over. Well, how did that hurt the magazine? Well, no one wanted to call it punk anymore because it was associated with murder. Uh. You know? So they, the, the record companies companies took ads and said don't call it punk call it new wave you know really i didn't know that. yeah yeah so they had sire who had just signed a deal with warner brothers for distribution um had bugs bunny in a black leather jacket and don't call it punk call it new wave you know wow did that change the the the, the vibe the the sort of essence of the music or was it just another term but the same music It did change. Then people started doing, you know, goth kind of heavily, the damned and stuff. And uh, Steve Bader's from the Dead Boys, you know, did the Lords of the New Church. So it became very goth-centered, very uh, droney and uh, not as much energy. As, and then hardcore erupted too, you know. So it was... Uh, you know, it, it was evolving. Yeah. Did it, would you say that evolved eventually to uh, um, uh, the Seattle scene and the grunge? Was that the, was that, is it connected to punk, would you say? Oh, yeah. I think it's just a continuation, you know, as it continues to evolve, you know? Yeah. I mean, if you saw Mona Skin on Saturday Night Live, you see where it is today you know oh that's where it's it is today yeah i think so yeah yeah sure kind of return to the glam energy of the dolls you know they were something else they really were yeah and i don't know i mean nationally i don't know if they were known as much as maybe well definitely in new york city or in europe would you say that's a good assessment or um i don't think they ever broke out um, that was partly their own fault. And, uh, you know, I mean, they would show up late at gigs and stuff. And, but I think all the hair metal bands of the eighties took their look from Johnny Thunders and David Johansson. Sure. You know? Yeah. I mean, the musicians knew who they were. They knew everyone, every, every musician in a rock and roll band knew who Johnny Thunders was, you know? And uh, do you still talk with uh, David Johansson? No. Yeah, he's 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 got a, a radio show on uh, satellite radio. I listen to once in a while. On Sirius? Yeah, yeah. Uh huh. Cool. Yeah, it's it's kind of good. He's a good archivist. He he knows. He's yeah, seen... he he knows his he knows especially his blues guys. You yeah. Know? He, he's very knowledgeable about rock music history. You know. Yeah. Oh, no doubt. I, it's enjoyable to listen to. Um, but, uh, you know, for people that were never there, including myself, I don't know if you can recollect or you can put it in words, but what would a good night be uh, like at CBGB's? How would you describe it? You know, you're a 20 something year old kid hanging out with your friends. What would, what would a good night there be like? Heaven. Yeah. How so? Yeah. Yeah. Um, well, the music was just so good and, uh, 
the beers were flowing and the, and the girls were there. So, I mean, what else do you need? <laughs> yeah. You know, the music was great. Um, it was good to be nice and drunk. Um, you could go around the corner to our Arturo's to do even more substances and uh, bring one of the girls from the bar with you. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, the, the substances are, you know... I mean, you have beer, and then you have marijuana, of course, but then, you know, the big one, I guess, that really derailed a lot of people, I guess, was was heroin, right? Yeah. I was never a junkie, and I never hung out. I hung out with mostly the, the people who drank a lot, you know? That's who I was with. Yeah, I'm with you on that. I think beer and marijuana... A little tobacco. What else do you need? And the coke, cocaine was 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 good. Yeah, yeah, but that can that could be a difficult thing to manage. I've witnessed. I never, I never, um, I never really enjoyed coke. You know, I mean, I did it for a couple of years, but if I didn't have it, I didn't crave it. You know. Yeah, yeah. I, it, you know, I, I. I had some experiences with it myself back in the 80s and stuff. And I remember what I didn't like about it is it would be always, okay, where am I going to get my next? Yeah, exactly. Exactly. And then you're not having fun when that's your preoccupation. Yeah, yeah, exactly. But uh, how are you doing with the tobacco? I know you're trying to quit. I vape now. Yeah? I've cut out tobacco. That's a hard one. Yeah. And uh, the vaping's working? It, it, it takes yeah. the place, yeah? So, uh, Legsville, one more time. Let's give it a, a, a plug and, and uh, people maybe uh, share with them where they can check it out. Uh, Legsville.com. Easy. There's a, there's a story up that just went up last night about the story of suicide told by uh, Alan Vega and Marty Rev, the late Alan Vega, who died in 2016. And and they discuss suicide. Well, they discuss the origins of how it came together, and then touring with Elvis Costello and the Clash, and Alan Vega going on tour with Chrissy Hind. It's a fun piece. Chrissy Hind, I'm glad you know. I'm glad you just mentioned her name. I I I, I love her. I think she's a great artist, and, and you know her, I'm sure, to some extent. Um, Not really, no. No, not really. Not How about really a career? Person. You know, you've watched her career pretty closely. Would you say she's a, a trailblazer in the in the world of uh, music? No, I, I, I'm not a fan. No? No. How come? Um, it's very droney. It's, it's very... Uh, she never did anything that really excited me. I'm going to have to rethink it now. I, I value your opinion. Well, just, well, just just because I don't care for something doesn't mean you can't. That's true. Love her, you know. It's a, it's not it's not what I think is. You know, it's what what affects you. You know, think for yourself. You know, if you enjoy her, enjoy her. You know, that I don't enjoy her doesn't mean that. 
she's worthless or bad or anything else. It's, you know, in matters of taste, there is no dispute, you know? There's a Latin saying for that. I like it. Um, you know, it just means uh, I have different tastes, you know? Be- don't like, don't not like something just because I don't like it, you know? That, that, that's, that's, that's silly. You know, that's the whole ethos of punk was to enjoy what you enjoyed you know yeah that's a great way to connect it back to where we started talking about punk so I I think it's safe to say that the experience the decision you made to move from Connecticut to the to uh, the Bowery basically and and, uh, you know spend a few years there is a defining time in your life oh yeah Oh, yeah. I was so glad to be in New York. You know, Connecticut was just horrible. I hated Connecticut. I still do. You know, it was just not fun. Yeah. I, you know, I, yeah. there was nothing going on there, and there's nothing ever will go on there. You know, it's it's kind of a a place you pass through from Boston to New York, you know. Mm-hmm. And that's all it is. And, you know, you're drawn to be around artists, it seems to me. Um, you're a journalist. Do you consider yourself an artist as well? Sure. Yeah. I, I, I consider what I do with the narrative oral history to be art. Yeah, sure. Well, I mean, Please Kill Me sold two million copies. So um, I guess some people agree with me. <laughs> Definitely. And... uh so, Legsville is up and running. It's it's uh, somewhat new. Is, is it a free thing, or yeah, people? It's a free thing. Yeah, sure. Yeah, of course. And we have a lot of videos. I just did an interview with Nicholas Shrek, who was uh, married to uh, Zena Levey, who was uh, the high priestess of the, the Church of Satan, um, and the daughter of Anton Levey, who started the Church of Satan, and. Uh, he goes into, he's written some Manson books and some books on um, Satanism. And we, we get into some interesting conversations about Manson. He was friends with Charlie. and um, So that's that's interesting, I think, you know. Definitely. It might yeah. make people feel uncomfortable, you know, as soon as you start talking about Satan and Manson. Uh, do you worry about that, turning readers off? No, not if it's an intelligent conversation. You know, yeah. I, um, Nicholas is a very well-spoken guy, very articulate. So um, he tells his story about Charlie and working with Charlie and <coughs> the different, excuse me, the different stories that were, never came out. You know. And do you push him on things, or you just let him talk? Is it co- sort of like you ask him a question and let him go? I'm curious about your style, or do you like fi- find a way to get get him to get deeper, or, or that's not an issue. He like he went there on his own. Oh, he went there on his own. Yeah. You know, he would make claims, and I'd say, "What proof do you have?" You know, and stuff like that. You know, but I didn't. I didn't have to push him. He was very forthcoming. Are you going to be working on any uh, any other books? I mean, you have Legsville, a lot of a lot of work there to be done. Uh, yeah, I'm working on a few, but I don't care to 
to talk about them right now. Okay. Since they're in the formative stages, you know. Well, hopefully, if I didn't irritate you, and I'm also I'm also teaching a class. Where? Um, through Zoom on the on the narrative oral history. So, if, if any of your listeners want to learn how to do their own oral histories, they should uh, write me at uh, McNeilLegs at gmail dot com. McNeilLegs at gmail.com for your master class yeah. in oral history. Yes. Excellent. That sounds like fun. Yeah. I think it's going to be, you know. I like sharing the stuff that I know, you know. So, and I like talking to people about what they're into, you know. Yeah, me too. Yeah, so, so it should be interesting. Well, I, you know, hopefully uh, we get a chance, if I didn't irritate you too much this time, to talk again about some of the books and other you projects. Didn't ir- you didn't irritate me at all. <laughs> Why would you say that? I don't know. I have self-deprecation, you know. I, I was raised a Catholic. I always feel bad about myself and guilty. Yeah, you know? yeah, I, I know about that. <laughs> I was raised a Catholic. I was an altar boy. I was as well, yeah. Did you drink the uh, wine? Did you ever drink the wine? Yeah, all the time. Me too. <laughs> <laughs> Well, it's a pleasure talking to you, Legs. It was a pleasure talking to you, and have a great day. And, and uh, I hope you survive COVID and this winter, and and everything's great with you and your loved ones. Same here. Same same to you, sir. Thank you. I appreciate okay. it. All right. Have a great day. You too. Bye-bye now. Bye-bye. Taking our time 
standing in the rain Mean what you said Oh, and mean it to me All in these lines Oh, and never again Come on and say And now say it again I know that some will say It matters a little bit But come on and mean it to me I need it so bad Oh, mean it to me I need it so bad excerpt from Please Kill Me, The Uncensored Oral History of Punk by Legs McNeil and Gillian McCain. Some dialogue including Ron Ashton and Iggy Pop. Ron Ashton. I'd been to New York with Iggy a few times before we went to record the first album. The first time we went, before we got signed to Elektra, was when Iggy took STP for the first time. He didn't know it was a three-day trip. So guess who got to watch him? Me. I tied a rope around his waist and led him around town. Iggy kept saying, Wow, I can see right through the buildings, man. Iggy kept having to get up and do stuff, and I said, Oh, man, I'm tired. So when I wanted to go to sleep... I tied the rope that was around his waist to my wrist, so every time he moved it would wake me up. This was our first trip to New York. When we showed up to do the record, Jack Holzman had asked me, You guys got enough material to do an album? Right. We said, Oh, sure. We only had three songs. So I went back to the hotel and in an hour came up with the riffs for Little Doll, Not Right, and real cool time. This is Iggy Pop. Even though I was a very big Velvet Underground fan, I wasn't excited about John Cale producing the first album because I wasn't excited about anybody producing me. I wasn't excited about anybody touching my music any more than you want somebody that you don't know to touch you anywhere else. Ha ha ha. It's very personal, but hearing that John Cale was going to produce the album, I thought, 
This is good. I can work with this. Obviously, this is going to be an intelligent, sensitive, cool guy. Somebody I can have a dialogue with, not a jerk. What I was excited about was the thought of getting him to play on something. When we started recording, Nico and John Cale used to sit in the booth looking like they were in the Adams family. Cale was wearing a Dracula cape with a great big collar on it. He looked like Z-Man in Beyond the Valley of the Dolls, and he had this funny haircut. And Nico was knitting. Throughout that whole album, she sat there knitting something. Maybe a sweater. I live to be stoned. I like it more than a wife. I live to be stoned. I like it more than your normal life. Perhaps I am a fool running scared from the strife. 
Or maybe, like my old man always said, I'm lazy and lost and don't know how to live a good life. Episode 457 of Troubadours and Tours with yours truly, E.W. Conundrum Demure. I'd like to thank those folks who made this episode possible. First and foremost, Legs McNeil. I'd also like to thank these musical artists. Thelonious Monk, Television, Joe Tullos, Nate Rayliff and the Night Sweats, The Stooges, The Ramones, Branford Marsalis, and Terence Blanchard, too. And of course, I'd like to thank you for listening. Until next time, let's give it a go and do our best with this time. Take care.